Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm joined this week by Dr. David Keynes, a practicing urologist in the Boston area, and then also the founder of a new uh, startup called Well Prepped. So Dr. Keynes, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So maybe to start out, maybe just give us a little bit of background on, you know, where you went to school, where you did your training, uh, and then kind of maybe just a general overview of your clinical practice right now. All right, sure. So um, I've been in New England for most of my life. I went to undergrad at Yale. I went to medical school at Cornell in New York City. And then urology residency uh, at Leahy Hospital, which is a suburb north of Boston. And then I did one-year fellowship around 2007 at the Cleveland Clinic in advanced laparoscopy and robotic surgery. And then I came back on staff at Leahy and I've been there ever since. That's awesome. You know, I, I actually grew up in Cleveland, so I'm very familiar. I did, you know, did some research there when I was uh, in college and stuff. So that's Cleveland Clinic's a great place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic place to learn. Yeah, I don't, from what I understand, the urology department is just an absolute powerhouse there. <laughs> it is. It always has been. It always will be. It's just really... Uh, a hotbed of of activity and innovation. It's a really dynamic place to be. That's awesome. Awesome. So maybe give us a little bit general view of your current practice. It sounds like are you are you in private practice or is it more? Uh, it sounds like you did it. At, you're at the same place where you did residency. So maybe it's it's more yeah. of an academic practice then, and, and kind yeah. of what types of areas you focus on. Sure. So it's more of an academic practice. We have a residency program in urology. In my practice, there's a big urology group. Uh, within within the department, almost everybody is fellowship trained, and my practice focuses mostly on urologic oncology, uh, with a special interest in minimally invasive minimally invasive surgery. So it's mostly robotic surgery for prostate cancer, kidney cancer, bladder cancer. That's very cool. Um, I always thought those those types of surgeries really really cool and innovative. Some cool gadgets you guys work with for sure. Yeah, urologists are gadget obsessed. I don't know who's more gadget obsessed, IR or urology, but it's it's a close race. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. <laughs> so I guess, tell us about Well Prepped. I mean, what, what was kind of the impetus for starting that and maybe kind of the evolution of that, of the company? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day uh, on a podcast that, that's yet to be released. And the interviewer said, describe me as a reluctant entrepreneur. <laughs> and I, I paused for a second because I think that's probably the best description of, of how I arrived at this somewhat reluctantly. And, and I'll also preface this by saying, you know, the rearview mirror makes things a lot clearer. So this seems like, you know, clear steps, but, you know, moving forward, it's not always that clear. In 2015 or so, I've, I was pretty burnt out and... Um, you know, I wasn't completely disengaged, but I was like really kind of suffering. Like I think a lot of doctors are right now. And I identified one specific point of frustration that really got to me, and that was re repeating the same things over and over in my clinic. Uh, you know, we all have certain spiels that we give, um, lots of them, where we describe the same things over and over and over again. And I remember one instance in, in particular, I was describing Gleason score to a 68 year old engineer who had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And just like when you when you drive to work in the same commute, have you ever shown up and you, you like have no idea how you got there? Yeah, it's like you're on autopilot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're on autopilot. Right. And uh, I had that autopilot feeling while I was describing Gleason score. And um, I felt terrible about it. You know, we, we want to give our patients our full attention. In fact, the thing that I like the most is is feeling like me and the patient are having a really meaningful conversation. We're making some kind of connection. I felt that way ever since I was a medical student. And um, I, I think that's a shared sentiment amongst doctors. And, and if you're giving some kind of repetitive thing and you press play in your head, uh, you no longer feel that way. 
It's sort of like when you're interviewing for residency and someone says, why did you want to go into fill in the blank? And you give your answer. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I felt like a, a bit of an automaton. And so I asked my secretary to um, send every patient with prostate cancer to the NCCN patient guide. It's like an 80 page PDF, a fantastic document that the NCCN made. And so I uploaded it to my Google Drive and I had one link to send these patients and not everybody read it, but the ones who did, their clinic visit was completely different. I, I was not, I was reviewing maybe some of the basics and clarifying some misunderstandings, but the conversation went very quickly to what their questions were, which we had plenty of time to answer and a very high level discussion of their specific situation. And I really enjoy those conversations, like when they when they can be, you know, they're, they're not like fluff conversations, they're not surface discussions, they're meaningful. So that, you know, th that was one element I took it one step further, you know, I do robotic prostatectomy and I decided, you know, I've, I've explained that one too many times, I'm going to record myself explaining it. And it's not just that I'd given that explanation a lot. I, I was giving a poor version of it when I was strapped for time. So um, that that was bothering me. So my secretary was sort of getting annoyed, like, you know, I can't I can't be sending out all these links for you. So fast forward a couple of years and have you seen Linktree on Instagram? Yeah, I, I actually use that for yeah. like our podcast and for myself and stuff. Yeah, right. Perfect. So, you know, Linktree is designed for self-promotion, but are you? Are, or something along those lines. Um, I saw Linktree and I thought, oh my God, you know, like I can use this. This will make my life easier to organize my patient resources. Because by this point, I had developed a bunch of things for kidney stones and prostate cancer and kidney cancer and a few other conditions. So at this point, I'm not thinking I'm going to start a company. I'm just like trying to get by and survive like a lot of a lot of us. But, you know, it improved things so much that I, I made a few prototypes for some friends of mine. And, I, and I, I wanted to see if there were other people who would find this sort of like a, a, a meaningful workflow change. And uh, so I, I called up a few friends. I said, hey, I made a page for you. Would you, would you use it? And the, the response was um, somewhat staggering. A, a few of them incorporated it fully into their workflow. And they doubled down on it. They, you know, they printed their QR codes on their business cards. And, and at that point, I thought, you know, this, this may be something useful. That's really interesting. I'm curious, what, what type of feedback did you get from patients about it? You know, it sounds like on your end, definitely the, the visits were more meaningful, sounds like more productive, but I guess how did, I guess in, you know, kind of comparison before and after, like before you, the feedback you got, and then after you implemented this. Right. So, so the, the first few people that I asked to use this, I, you know, I, I asked them the same thing and they, they said their patients were like, uh, thankful. And I've experienced this too. Patients start the visit and they say, you know, thank you for sending me all that stuff. I've never had a doctor send that to me before, you know, an, an organized, uh, place for patient education resources. It, I didn't have to Google things. I knew that what you were giving me was, was vetted, I guess you could say. But but it's interesting you asked that because when I first sat down and recorded this video explaining robotic prostatectomy, I, it felt like a bit of a gamble. I thought, you know, are patients going to be put off or insulted by the fact that I'm pawning them off on this video? Uh, you know, it could go one of both ways, either like, thank you so much for doing that, or why the hell did this doctor not want to explain this to me? in person. Uh, and, and as it turns out, nobody, uh, you know, I never heard any negative feedback, uh, nor did any of the early access users specifically along those lines. It's not the reaction isn't why didn't they want to explain this to me? It's more like, Oh, thank God they gave this to me. Now we have time to discuss more important things. You know, so that was a huge relief. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I always think these are complex, you know, robotic surgery, you know, the other surgeries you do, IR procedures, 
you know, even getting other physicians sometimes to understand it can be in a short period of time could be even a challenge or even just making them aware of what we do. Um, so even at the patient level, who's not, you know, doesn't have a medical background. So I imagine that that would be extremely helpful. And then I imagine that it made you tailor the visit more towards that particular patient versus like, you know, having to go through kind of the nuts and bolts of everything. Exactly. And, you know, the, there's an epidemic of burnout right now. The The latest data I saw, I had the number 50% in my head, but I think it's now over 60% of doctors. Um, and and anything, anything that makes you feel like a hamster on a wheel, I think contributes to that. And so what happens if, if the basics are covered in some other way, patients reviewing at home, then you have unpredictable encounters. Like, you know, I can't predict what this conversation with Mr. Smith is going to be like. And I, I like that. Like we want, we want variety in our day. We want unpredictable conversations. We want surprises, you know, that's human nature. And I, and I don't want to make it seem like it's all about us. The patient encounter is not all about us. The patient is at the center, but it is about us in the sense of we have to do this thing, whether it's IR or urology or cardiology, GI, we have to do this thing for 30 to 40 years. So in that way, it is about us. We need to remove the monotony uh, and the repetitive things, get support for those so that we're working at the top of our profession. Like the feeling of making actual decisions and making real connections with people and having high level discussions with patients to me that's the top of our profession that's where we feel like like a professional right the other things we didn't really sign up for yeah absolutely you know obviously we want to educate our patients but it sounds like what you're working on is helping us do it in the most you know efficient way possible and i think it's also an interesting point you hit on that you know some these patients usually you know they google things these days and you know who knows what's actually accurate out there and not speaking of the clinic clinic. I remember there was a years ago, there was a cardiologist who wrote a book because one day just for the heck of it, he Googled, you know, different things on heart disease and things like that. And he was shocked at how like inaccurate or horrible. Some of the prison, the information was that he found that patients would have had access to. And so he wrote a book actually to kind of, you know, say, look, this is like the information I believe it was called the heart four one one. Um, and so I think it's, you know, interesting, uh, in addition to making, you know, the visit more meaningful, it also, like you said, helps vet the information for the patient to make sure they're not getting misinformed. Cause I, I imagine it's also part of, and I see it with us, part of our time is spent correcting maybe misinformation they read prior to the visit or, you know, when, right before you're about to go back into the procedure or whatnot. Right. That's true. You know, I just want to pick up on one thing you just said, this cardiologist who wrote a book because there wasn't good information. I would propose that the problem we have today is maybe the opposite problem. There's tons of great information. I'm amazed actually at, at because I, I sort of collated, at least in urology so far, I've collated what I think are the best resources. There are great resources, but they're hard, they're hard to find. Now they're, they're sort of hidden amongst a mountain heap of terrible information. Right. Yeah. And I think also there's a lot of super, I think also in addition to more, at least from what I've seen in our field is there's a lot of superficial information. Like, you know, it gives you maybe like the very basic level, but I feel like a lot, especially if, you know, you know, if I'm a patient and I'm getting, you know, a surgery done to take out a tumor or I'm getting, you know, an IR procedure to put a stent in or an ablation or something like that, you know, I'm going to want, want to know a little more about that. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, being able to give, you know, more in-depth, accurate information, I think would be extremely helpful for sure. Yeah, there, there's no question. I think, um, well, let me, maybe as I tell more of the story about where this went from, from there, we'll, we'll have more to talk about specifically on that front. Yeah. But, uh, so, so I, so I make this quasi prototype I farm it out to some friends. Uh, a few of them don't use it, uh, but the ones that do use it, use it a lot. And, um, and I think, okay, this might be an idea worth turning into something that more doctors can use at scale. So I hired a, a team of software developers and we develop uh, the first version, which, which is uh, working and functional. Um, 
where doctors can make an account and they can set up a page very quickly and it's all self-service so each condition page is custom so let's just use ir for example let's say you do a ton of um, ablations of liver tumors and so you have a page on hepatocellular carcinoma ablation and on that page there's a video carousel and a stack of buttons for all your favorite resources. Some of those might be PDF handouts that you upload. Uh, some of them may be links to websites that you find trustworthy. They could be links to podcasts uh, where this has been discussed in a way that patients might resonate with. What it really is, if it can be linked to, you can put it on there. And then there's a section to meet the doctor to learn a little bit more about the doctor and, and form a bond. Um, yeah, or, to, or at least begin to form a bond. Um, so the the hypothesis is, and and I, you know, this is starting to bear fruit. I thought that there may be a bunch of doctors out there who would consider recording a video, uh, but not not in an abstract way. Like, let me put this on YouTube, and maybe some people will watch it. But now you give them a delivery tool, and those doctors may just turn their phone towards their face and record a video now that they're putting it on a page that they are actually handing out to their patients. And this has come to fruition. A few early access users within an, a week of making a well prep page, they record like 10 or 11 short video clips. And I'm not talking like high production value. I'm talking low production value, selfie video, doing that spiel that you've given hundred times, just one more time while you're hitting record, uploading it to YouTube and putting it on your page. And, you know, I'm mentioning that because you said, what we need is in-depth information. Now, like all of a sudden you're in control. You have some autonomy back, which I think is sorely lacking nowadays as well. You've got some autonomy. This is my page. I control what goes on it. I'm going to offload I think of it as outsourcing stuff to yourself, you know, I'm going to outsource some of these video talks to me uh, and um, decrease my future burden. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting. So I guess maybe walk me through the the product a little bit. So it's when, you know, you have these buttons now, do the users create this themselves or do you have options to kind of customize it or, and then when people, let's say they've put their page together on your platform do they just, is it just like Linktree where they post a link, you know, on their website or, you know, social media account or, or just, or maybe they email it out to somebody is that, and then it takes them to, is that how it works or? Yeah. So let me, let me see if I can explain it in a, in a more organized way than I did. So, so um, there's a dashboard that the provider sees. And in that dashboard, you can see all of your condition pages. You can see, um, analytics, how many times patients have actually visited them, which is nice feedback that all this work you're doing to curate the information is worth it. And if you click on any one of those pages, you can see the back end, like a list of your video links, a list of your resource buttons. You can delete any of them, add one. So if you add a resource, for example, all you have to do is three things, give it a name, say what kind of resource it is, which impacts the little icon next to it and then either put a link or upload a file. So that's the provider dashboard. Each one of these pages is, you know, one static web page with one URL. And the structure is app.wellprep.com forward slash Dr. Cooper. Let's use you as an example, forward slash Dr. Cooper, a nice, easy to remember um, URL. And then each condition page has a separate URL. So in, in, in the workflow, you uh, send just one link to the patient before beforehand. As far as sharing it with patients, I would think of it in, in terms of three options. You can get it in front of the patient before the interaction with them. You can show it to them while they're standing in front of you, or you can give it to them on the way out after the visit. And the exact integration into the workflow differs from one doctor to the other. I'll just give you some examples to make it clear. 
some of our users have a reliable administrative assistant who schedules all the appointments or procedures. And if that's the case, they give them a list of conditions. Each one only has one URL. And the instructions are, in addition to your scheduling task, every time you book a patient for a kidney stone consult, make sure they go to this one URL, email it to them. Um, so, you know, not everybody has a reliable administrative assistant. So doctors are getting creative and a lot of them are building this into their Doximity app uh, and doing one-way HIPAA compliant SMS messages to the patients beforehand. Um, and they can set up canned text for each of their condition pages and send it right to the patient's mobile phone before the interaction. For doctors who are showing it to the patients face-to-face, -face, they can have a, a stack of handouts just with one QR code in the office. And that, that, that is really exciting to see because you know that what the status quo is like, right? I mean, we have either like a rack of brochures, you know, or we have a, a, a file cabinet somewhere. You know, if I ask any doctor, like, take me to your handouts, if I literally walked into any office probably around the world and I said, take me to your handouts, they'd say, oh, our handouts, they're right over here. Come, let me show you. File cabinet, folders of, you know, photo over photocopied handouts. Those, those can actually go away. You just scan one version of each, plop them on your page, and then you're good to go. That's awesome. I mean, that's, it sounds very easy to use for, you know, the physician, easy to integrate into their, their workflow. And then all obviously easy for the, the patient. I guess one thing I'm thinking of is that have you, have you run into any issues with like patient compliance where like you send this information to them, hope they review it and then they don't or anything like that, or, or have you not really found that to happen? No, people, uh, people have reported early users have reported that, uh, for sure. Not every patient, um, looks at it you know i'm trying to think of analogies to other things we do there isn't a single workflow improvement that i know that has a hundred percent saturation like i was um i was talking to shiv gaglani from osmosis and and he go he said you know still not all doctors use dragon to dictate you know some people are still typing and that really like i'll never forget that comment because it's true, you know, here we have this incredible artificial intelligence voice transcription magic wand and not everybody uses it. <laughs> so similarly, it, it's true, this is not for every patient, but I'll tell you in a typical clinic day, if a, if a doctor has nine new patients, that, that's like a busy day, at least in urology, I'm sure it differs among specialties, but if only six of those patients reviewed information beforehand, your day is still like much better. And then the other three didn't look at it. You can give it to them on the way out. Um, they're still happy because they leave with information and your visit is the same as what it used to be. Interesting. So I guess what's, what's the business model? So obviously they pay for like a subscription or, or a membership or something like that. And then your company provides, you know, obviously these, you know, a resource and a platform to, to put this content on. Do you, do you share content or is it on the user to make their own content for it or find their own content? All right, so I'll answer that last question first. So um, I, I wanted to first prove the concept in urology. So the urology ecosystem for WellPrepped is the most mature. There are other specialties on there, but I'll just answer as far as urology goes. There's a, um, there's a backend database where when people onboard you know when you when you you know when you log into Spotify for the first time and it says what kind of music do you like and it's like blues, funk, soul, R&B, hip hop and you, you click all the buttons. When you onboard to WellPrepped, it's a similar thing. You say you're a urologist, you click on the conditions that you see in your clinic and then it automatically populates the page with what I would call seed content. You know, curated bundles of a few videos a few resources so that you're not starting from a blank slate. And, um, you know, things are really ramping up now because there's been interest from a lot of different specialties. And, you know, I plan to make a similar experience in as many as many specialties um, as I possibly can. Um, so 
there are there there is content that that loads already and then what we've discovered is that doctors are very happy to be editors and not as happy to be authors so you know they're happy to tweak things when it's not a blank slate um, but the hypothesis in the beginning was if you handed them a completely blank vehicle they're unlikely to use it um, as far as the business model you're right it's subscription-based um, well prepped is really new and i've focused over the last six months in trying to you know spread as much value as i can uh, uh, but uh, pretty soon it's going to be um, subscription-based that's awesome i guess from a standpoint our Who's buying it? Is it individual surgeons within their and then they they use it just for their own, or are you seeing you know whole departments or or entire like private practices buying it and distributing it you know throughout their their group? Yeah, you know uh, that's a great question, Max. The um, we've seen both. We've seen individual doctors, lots of individual doctors, and really from all different types of practices, academic practices, private practices, everybody needs help. So we've seen a real mix. And then also, yes, a few departments where the department head has said, you know, um, usually the way it has worked is a, a department head tries it, sees the impact immediately and says, I, I want my whole st um, department to, to use well prepped. Um, and let me tell you why, why I think that is. And a few of these uh, department chairs have articulated this. The department chairs really genuinely care about their faculty and they want to be able to not just say, I'm interested in your well-being. I want to help you with burnout. They want to actually do something tangible. And doctors have this <laughs> really keen radar for tools that are actually helpful. So if you say to the doctor, um, we're gonna start a, a trial using scribes, they immediately respond positively, almost everybody. They, they can understand why having a scribe is gonna be helpful. Or we're gonna have a representative from um, IT come and help everybody beef up their dot phrases and their templates and their order sets and their speed buttons or whatever it's called in, in your EHR, doctors can tell like, yes, that's going to help me, even if it's a little bit of work up front. And, you know, I've been psyched to get feedback that they see this as being a similar proposition, you know, I, but and I think it's in an, an arena that a lot of people haven't thought to consider as a physician support tool like we don't normally think of patient education as e equals physician support i think that's what's maybe a little bit different about this but it's becoming clear to people yes we're going to help you organize all your favorite stuff everyone in the department can have theirs be slightly different and um, we're going to try to systematize your patients getting this information before they arrive and you know, try and relieve some of the burden. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a really great idea. I mean, I think it's, it's a major pain point, you know, for anyone that's involved in, especially a procedure-based field, like any type of surgery, IR, I'm sure like interventional cardiology, GI, like you said, could, could find it useful as well. I'm curious, have you received any pushback or skepticism initially when trying to like to sell someone on using it? And I guess what's your kind of way of mitigating that or your way of saying, you know, kind of convincing them to still try it out? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that question. So, you know, when you first have an idea, entrepreneurship is a funny thing. I've had a lot of terrible ideas over the last 20 years. Good ideas, I think you can tell when it won't, the idea won't leave you alone. I think that's the best way of uh, describing this. This idea would not leave me alone. But in the early days when I was telling colleagues, and a few of them were, said, you know, this is kind of a dumb idea. It, you know, it, it hurts. You, you take it personally. <laughs> um, some of the early criticism I got was, you know, this is just a, a web page. I could call our web team and I could just tell them to put my PDFs on the website and to load a YouTube video. So I don't think anyone is going to pay for this uh, and probably not use it. Uh, good luck to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Now, the way I handled that is it, it's it's difficult to hear th that kind of criticism early on. But, you know, just to take that example, I'm pretty facile at web design. I, I, I learned how to do it on my own because I thought it was fun and I made my own website. And before Well Prepped existed, I tried to create something like this for myself. And it just doesn't work well, even if it's well designed, because here's how it goes. First of all, you have to tell your patient, okay, go to my website and then click on resources and then look for kidney stones. It's just not a great experience. You can't, uh, unless you're really a web wizard, optimize it at perfectly for mobile and desktop uh, and then try and get an entire department worth of websites and ask some hospital-based web team to make each person's page different you can quickly start to see that that's probably not a legitimate criticism. The other thing is, you asked me, you know, when when people sort of uh, are skeptical, how do you convince them to try it? I have changed the answer to that over the last year. Initially, I used to really try to convince people to do it, and now I've completely changed my my attitude. Now I know for sure that there are a lot of doctors who kind of get it. And within 30 seconds of explaining, they're like, I got it. When can I try it? Um, I no longer try to bend this workflow to, to shoehorn it into somebody who's not interested. <laughs> I, I don't want that to sound like an, you know, overly cynical answer. No, I think it makes sense. I mean, if someone's, it's like when you're selling anything, I mean, if, if someone doesn't want it or someone doesn't think they'll use it, then I, I mean, at a certain point you got to move on and, you know, hopefully find other people right. that, that do want to use it and we'll find it, you know, and do buy into it. Cause I mean, like you said, there's still doctors that aren't using, you know, the dragon to, to dictate their right. notes or, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if somebody, if somebody tells me, if somebody says, you know, I type 120 words a minute and I don't have to look at the keyboard and you know, how much time you want to, ways telling that person that they should try dragon i mean it's just doesn't mean dragon's a bad idea but <laughs> it's just not for that person yeah absolutely 100 percent. i guess the so as far as like creating content for the platform have you found many physicians are like to create their own content or are you seeing that they're more saying oh i'm too busy for that or can't you just provide this for me i guess what's I'm just curious, like, because I know that there's some positions as you, you know, you see on YouTube and social media are very into doing that kind of stuff. And then, but I imagine there's also ones that don't either don't want to do it or don't feel comfortable or. Yeah. You know, I see a full gamut and uh, I see a lot who don't really want to, or maybe they're too shy or nervous to record their own content. The nice thing about this platform is it works just as well when you use other people's content. I mean, you know, if I practice, uh, I'm just going to use your urology because it's the most familiar to me. But if I'm in Oregon and I have a patient with prostate cancer and I have a, a video that I like of somebody explaining Gleason score, it doesn't have to be me, you know. So there are a lot of users who have just used the content that comes on WellPrepped with very little um, editing. Maybe they add a few of their handouts and they're off and running. A fair number have started to record their own videos. And um, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if, if I'm attracting that kind of personality or, or if this idea attracts that kind of personality. Sometimes you attract your own ideal user, um, if you know what I mean. So it's not, it's not a random sample size here by any stretch. But, but let me just put this concept out there because I've been thinking about this a lot over the last three weeks. In a post-COVID world, or I don't know if we're really post-COVID, in a COVID world, patients are rarely, if ever, seeing us without our masks on. And I'm saying that because even the sloppiest, most low-budget, terrible lighting, worst possible angle video of a doctor talking into an iPhone, really to their patients, is so powerful. I mean, the doctor's got no mask on, and I really do believe that patients can start bonding with you before the visit begins. I think we have to go beyond this old way of thinking that the visit starts 
when the in-person meeting starts or the procedure or that's that's the only time for the patient doctor interaction to to form a bond i think we need to start blurring the lines where you know an important part of that bond can happen before and after and video is very powerful for that so you know as part of this you know and as i talk more and more about well prepped i i really want to make this about also encouraging even those reluctant doctors to whip out their phones and and uh and record their spiels and even just introduce themselves um and i think it's going to happen more and more yeah i think that's a couple interesting points there you make is is one attracting people that would like to you know make their own content i i think one thing i'm noticing especially among you know younger physicians is that or that or physicians that are more tech savvy if you will is they want to make their own content or they, you know, they, it's something they realize is, you know, probably beneficial to them. And then, you know, it's kind of something that's on the edge of, you know, uh, of, you know, promoting medical content, medical education, if you will. And I think another interesting point is visit people feeling like they know their physician or getting to know their physician better. You know, it's interesting. I had a plastic surgeon on a couple months ago, Dr. Richard Brown, who he has a massive social media following. I mean, he's got like 8 million TikTok followers and, I think he's got a hundred thousand Instagram followers and like wow. six hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. I mean, he's 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 got. I think he's got someone in his office that manages all this stuff. And then he he just loves doing it. But what's interesting is he he makes a lot of content that's kind of entertaining, but also he makes a lot of content to educate people on you know surgery and plastic surgery and some of the procedures he does. And he says when a lot of his patients come to see him because of his massive social media, is they feel like they already know him. You know, they feel like that they kind of know what they're getting into and they know what to expect. And I imagine even with this, you know, it, even though it's, a, it's kind of a similar concept. You know, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. I have to tell you that I think plastic surgery and aesthetic medicine in general is ahead of the curve in this regard. And, and, you know, it's, it's a very visual specialty, right? But we're, Plastic surgery is no different from any other specialty in medicine and surgery is that is the patient doctor interaction. I don't care. I really, I mean, I don't care what it is that you're taking care of or treating. Patients want to feel a bond with their doctor. They, they want to feel listened to and they want to feel like all their expectations are aligned. I learned this from um, Eva Shea, who who has a podcast in aesthetics, who talks about this a lot. I think all fields have this in common. There's more similarities than differences between plastics and even IR and everything else. So I think this is going to be an evolution. The the YouTube famous doctors was the kind of the first wave, the doctors who felt so comfortable going on camera, uh, even not knowing who was going to be watching. This is a different thing we're talking about. We're talking about going on and then handing it out to your patients. Your patients are your audience. It's a lot more concrete when you know who's going to be watching or that people are going to be watching. So, you know, I'm hoping that when you give people a delivery mechanism, it can be a tipping point that encourages people to uh, start turning the camera towards themselves. Yeah, that's interesting. You you make you make that that you kind of know who your audience is because I, I would imagine that would make some doctors more comfortable too. You know, they may be self conscious of you know putting it on YouTube and thinking, oh, anyone can watch this or anyone could put a nasty comment on it or something like that. Versus if it's their patients, it's you know they would have been they're going to meet them eventually. They're going to talk with them eventually anyway. So it's I would imagine that could limit the barrier as far as that goes uh, as well. Absolutely. And I'll just tell you how my own um, view of this has changed. Some of the early adopters for Well Prepped, who I mentioned recorded, say, a dozen videos for themselves. Every now and then I check in on the view count of those videos. And let's say some of those videos have um, 94 views. The previous version of me would have said, ah, 94 views, nobody's watching this video. But that's now I know because it's on their well prep page, that's 94 patient encounters that were improved by a video directly from that doctor. You know, each one of those view counts is so much more meaningful 
because there's an actual patient behind it. It's not some kind of abstract, I hope somebody watches my video. Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. I mean, because you, you could think, oh, 94 views on YouTube. Oh, that's that's not that many or not. That, but it's not about, I mean, YouTube, again, it's it could be anybody. And, you know, versus with this, it's that the patient actually, you know, was some, it was actually someone who, you know, would have benefited from this that was actually, you know, a target audience. I think that's really interesting. And then if you think about it in terms of time saved, I mean, you know, uh, astute listeners are going to say, yeah, but patients can go back to the same video multiple times. And that's true. That's also fan a fantastic reason to have videos on your page. So the other thing about that view count is if you think about it in terms of time saved for the doctor, I mean, if this is a 20 minute or 15 minute explanation of, of some medical concept, not even 94 views is hours and hours of, of tangible time saved. No, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, and it shows it's, I think it's, great that you have the analytics on there too. I, I didn't even cross my mind until you, until you brought that up because it, it can show one, not only the impact you're having, but also, you know, the people are actually using it. I imagine that's probably back going back to the whole convincing people to use it, you know, saying, Hey, you know, if we have this many docs and they're using it and then this is, you know, their usage rate, you know, and this is what kind of patient, and this is the usage rate among patients. I imagine that's very powerful data to have. It, it's very powerful. So right now we have what I would call basic analytics, the, the provider can see how many times each condition page has been visited. But you know, the wizard behind the curtain, I, I've got, I've got a lot of more advanced analytics, and we plan on rolling that out uh, in future uh, iterations. But I can literally see I, I can look at a curve of video clicks and resource clicks over the last week. And I can see when a provider's clinic day was. I mean, you know, you can see on Thursday, there's a huge spike and then ripples. It's like a, a wave effect, even on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, they're not seeing patients on Saturday and Sunday. The patients are going back on Saturday and Sunday to revisiting those resources on average two or three times. And so you can see this ripple effect. It's, it's fantastic. And from a from a feedback loop standpoint for the for the doctor who has taken all this extra effort to create the pages and customize them the way they want feeding that information back uh, is is very satisfying for people to know that the work is not in vain and that it's being actually consumed that's great so i guess what kind of as we're getting close to the the end here what what kind of what stage are you at right now and then where are you kind of hoping to go with this in the next you know, six months to the next year. So right now we have a few hundred urology doctors on the platform. The first, anyone who started a software pro um, product can tell you that the first several hundred users provide you the most unbelievable learning experience. So we've been iterating uh, things that we thought were obvious were not obvious and you know, users have been very generous with their thoughts. And so we've already in the last few months improved the experience on the doctor side and the patient side significantly. My goal over the next year is to expand the reach uh, and to get as, as many um, doctors this relief and help that they need so desperately, um, not just in urology, but in, in as many specialties as possible. I'm starting in, if you, if you could draw a family tree of specialties, I'm starting in adjacent specialties. So, you know, adjacent specialties to urology are interventional radiology, radiation oncology, gynecology. Those are the immediately adjacent ones. And then there's been some really enthusiastic uh, early adopters who've approached me from GI and neurology and a number of others. And it just seems to me specialties where there are just a ton of repetitive explanations. Just so I can listen back at this episode a year from now, I mean, I think we can get this in front of somewhere between 1,000 and 10,000 uh, physicians over the next year. And where I really hope to see this headed is that the app itself can help doctors see what other helpful resources their colleagues are using because that's the biggest question that users are asking me right now can i see what everyone else is using <laughs> uh, which is not surprising just like when you make your uh, templates and everything you what's the first thing you want to know well, let me see some other templates 
so that's where I see things headed. It's been very exciting. I have to say just on a, on a personal note, I always, I always knew how gratifying it, it would be to uh, help patients. That's what drew me to medicine. Um, but I had no idea how gratifying it would be to help other doctors. You know, I get emails every day uh, of users who are thanking me for putting this together, which is like kind of a, an awesome thing to hear. But it's funny, like to hear that about software, you know, you don't normally write to Microsoft and say, thank you for making PowerPoint for me, you know, uh, but I, but I'm t I'm tickled by it every day. And it, and it, it, it really is become a major driver. I get so much satisfaction about the thought of being able to help other people's workflow at scale. It's just an incredible feeling. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, the expanding and other specialists. I, I would think, as you said, as you're talking about this, even the non-procedure based or non-surgical specialties, I think, I mean, like neurology, like you mentioned, I mean, all those different complex conditions, you know, Parkinson's, epilepsy, you know, I would imagine a lot of that type of information is outdated or, or you know, just like you were talking about with the pamphlets uh, earlier, you know, is maybe not sufficient or indefinite enough for some patients because those are, you know, you know, there's no necessarily a procedure involved. There's very, there's a very complex life altering disease processes that I think patients would definitely want. And I can imagine that would be exhausting too, explaining that over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. And the other place where I've really been uh, exploring with a few early access users is primary care, internal medicine, family medicine, and also pediatrics. Um, I'm in awe of those uh, disciplines. I think that they have so much to cover in one visit. It's hard to understand how they can possibly do it. If you just take internal medicine, keeping track of um, all the screenings that have to be done and, and uh, educating about blood pressure and diet and smoking cessation, it's almost too much. And the question is, how can you, how can you really achieve um, shared decision-making without having the patient do homework? Like really, this is the way I think about it. Our patients are our students, we're teachers. That's not a new concept. We all know that, like doctors are teachers. Why on earth would we have a classroom with students and not have homework? <laughs> no, it's essentially what we're doing. I mean, I, I would love to have an internal medicine doctor have a page for men in their 40s, women in their 40s, men in their 50s, women in their 50s. You know, it, it could be organized that way with major concerns, screening information, but really in depth so that when they come in, they're, they're not starting from ground zero. And then maybe it'll be easier to manage. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, primary care, unfortunately, is a field where you know, you and I both know that's, there's a lot of burn, you know, talk about burnout. There's a lot of burnout in that field and it's becoming more challenging to get, you know, medical students to go into that, you know, that field just, I think for that and a number of other reasons, unfortunately, and, you know, which, you know, primary care is a, you know, it's, it's the centerpiece of medicine, you know, that's, they're the, you know, where our specialists get a lot of our referrals from. So I think that that could be incredibly game-changing for, for primary care, for sure. The, the other thing I was going to ask is, you know, have you, thought of using this at all for resident education. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, as residents, sometimes it's nice to be able to, you know, like review a proceed, you know, review some materials on a procedure before we scrub into it, you know, because I don't know about urology, but IR, sometimes it's kind of, it can be hard to find something that's, you know, relevant to the procedure you're doing, or you kind of have to search for it. And as a resident, sometimes you're just tired and don't want to have to spend hours searching for things. And it'd be nice to just, like you said, for patients, for residents to have like a lot of resources in one place to to learn from and uh, help prepare ourselves. Yeah, you know, it's a great idea. Um, I have toyed with that concept because I have, you know, a bunch of videos for the procedures that I do, but they're kind of stuck in a Dropbox folder and every resident that comes by, I have to kind of remember where it is. It would be nice if I could make procedure specific pages and keep the content on there and keep refreshing it. In order to do that, I would have to somehow make it not visible to patients and a different a different front door for residents seeing different content. But you know, it is a great idea. I'd have to work out what kind of demand there is for that on the user base. Yeah, once you realize that you have a kind of a self service 
web page where you can easily um, update and change the information. New ideas start to come just like that. That's a great idea. That's awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Keynes, I've really enjoyed talking with you. And, you know, I think we've hit on some really interesting points in, in healthcare. And then, you know, obviously the the problems that you're solving with well prep, I think it's, I think you really are onto something uh, potentially very revolutionary here. And um, I guess I want to give you the chance, you know, where's the best place to find well prep, find out more information about it, you know, sign up those types of things. Yeah. So um, well prepped is a, is a deliberate misspelling. It's W E L L P R E P T. So it's www.wellprep.com. That's probably the best place to go right now. Um, it allows you to put yourself on the wait list. And shortly after you do that, I personally contact you. Um, it's possible that when people listen to this, the, instead of being gated, the door will be wide open from the start and you can just start using it. Um, I, I try to be very reachable. You can find me on Twitter and direct message me. It's at Canes David, C-A-N-E-S David. Uh, so there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways to find me. That's awesome. We'll, we'll provide links to all of that in the description. And the last question I want to ask you, you know, I ask everybody this is when you're not working on well-prepped or practicing urology, because I think that's an important thing to remind people is that you're still a full-time practicing urologist, um, is uh, what do you do with your time outside the hospital? How do you find that balance if there is one? <laughs> yeah, no, there is a balance. One of my most influential mentors uh, when I was a resident told me, uh, don't put your hobbies and interests on hold during residency and medical school as if you're going to somehow pick up on them later because you won't. So I have continued a lot of other passions. I am first and foremost a dad. I have five boys <laughs> uh, and I'm a, I'm a father of young children. My, wow. uh, as of this recording, my, my kids are between five and 14. Oh, wow. You're and, busy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very busy. And, you know, my wife and I enjoy them a lot there. It is a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, but also a fantastic ride. I think that that takes up the vast majority of my time. If I ever have a free moment, you'd find me playing my guitar. If somehow all the kids are sleeping and my wife is out with her friends, I'll be in the basement with a blues backing track on a speaker playing guitar. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, living my best life. <laughs> and in the in the, uh, in the winter, we we're a big ski family. Um, that's one sport where you really people of all ages can can do together and different um, skill levels. So we're so guitar and skiing are are my big my big passions. That's awesome. I feel like I've met a number of surgeons that play guitar. Maybe it's just like the hand, the finger dexterity. Yeah, it could that. be. Could be. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Dr. Keynes, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us and, and tell us what you're working on. And, um, you know, I wish you the, the best of success. And I, I hope more doctors can, you know, rapidly adopt this because I think it could really help their practice for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or a review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.